This is a Federal News Network podcast. In the sweepstakes for the latest iteration of a big army logistics contract, two bid protests failed to gain a prize for one bidder. A big issue is pricing. Its prices were too high, but not too high enough. Sounds strange. Smith Pactor McWhorter procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo joins us to explain this case. And this is the big log cap five deal that really matters to contractors because it's the contract that basically allows the Army to operate. Exactly. It's a worldwide multiple award indefinite quantity contract for logistics and sustainment for the Department of Defense. It's an enormous contract. It's a group of seven contracts covering six commands in Afghanistan. It was a best value solicitation, and there were four evaluation factors, the most important of which was technical management. Also evaluated were past performance, small business participation, and, which is important here, cost or price. There were both fixed price and cost plus elements in the contract. Therefore, there was an evaluation for both cost realism, is the cost or price too low, and price reasonableness, is the price too high. There were extensive discussions with all the offerors, and four of the competitors got contracts. Some got more than one command, but all four of them got contracts. DynCorp was not one of them. And DynCorp was downgraded both on some of the technical aspects of the evaluation and on pricing. Yes. In the most important evaluation, the technical management factor, its proposal was not highly ranked. It also had a fairly high price, higher than its competitors. In any event, it did protest to the Court of Federal Claims. And during the protest, the Army realized they had a vulnerability. Specifically, they had only evaluated price reasonableness for the awardees. But the solicitation said they would do that for all the offerors. So they felt they had to go back and fix that error. They asked the court to permit them to perform a corrective action. Court said, fine, go fix your problem. And even after that, DynCorp had not received a contract. It went back and protested again to the Court of Federal Claims and lost there and then had an appeal to the Federal Circuit, which just issued its decision last month. And it also turned down DynCorp. Exactly. Here's the issue. It's kind of an interesting one. DynCorp was arguing that the price it gave the Army was so high as to be unreasonable. If the price had been found unreasonable, since that was something that happened during this corrective action, it was something that the Army would have had to have discussed with DynCorp. That would have meant a reopening of discussions, an opportunity to revise its proposal, and DynCorp, I guess, was hoping that with that reopening, it could improve its proposal sufficiently to get an award. So it was trying to get a second bite at the apple, or third or fourth. We're up to a few by now. The issue here, though, was, you know, was its price unreasonable and did the Army perform an improper price reasonableness evaluation? The Court of Appeals did a very thorough analysis of the language of the regulation. DynCorp had said, look, there are two preferred ways of doing this, and the Army didn't use those two preferred ways, but it had to. And the Court of Appeals ultimately concluded that Those methods were simply preferred, not required. The agency had a lot of flexibility and discretion about how it would perform a cost reasonableness evaluation. We're speaking with Joseph Petrillo. He's a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. 
So in other words, DynCorp pricing was high. And if it's simply high but reasonable, then too bad. You're too high and you don't get an award if that's one of the criteria. What it was saying, though, that its own price was unreasonable. And I guess I'm questioning why would a contractor purposely submit an unreasonable price? Or did it only find out later after the awards that, gosh, we're so high, we should have been found unreasonable? Well, I think what happened was after the evaluation that took place as part of the corrective action, the only viable legal issue DynCorp had was this opportunity to try to reopen discussions and give it another chance at providing a better proposal that might have won. And the fact of the matter is the argument it made about price reasonableness failed for the reason I mentioned, that those two methods weren't required. And for the second reason, the Army actually did do a very thorough price reasonableness evaluation that the Court of Appeals and the Court of Federal Claims both felt were adequate under the regulations. Often in these protest cases, the agency is kind of flat-footed or found to be flat-footed in application of its own criteria or in some fine point of the federal acquisition regulation, or in this case, the DFAR. But it sounds like in this case, the Army knew what the heck it was doing, because this is the fifth iteration of log cap, and therefore... They know the ins and outs and were prepared. That's right. I think agencies get into trouble with protests for two generic reasons. One, there's something they have to do or require to do, but don't do it. Or two, they're exercising some judgment or making some determinations or analyses, but they do it in such a strange way that it doesn't appear to hold water. It's not a reasonable or rational evaluation. Here, the Army was in the second category. They did what they were supposed to, but they had an area of discretion and judgment, and their analysis was considered adequate by the court. It wasn't so deficient that it merited overturning. Yeah, so that's another important point, that in matters of discretion that are permitted under the FAR or whatever procurement system you're using, both GAO and the courts tend to respect the government's discretionary exercise. That's absolutely correct. This protest does illustrate a very strange situation where if you submit a proposal that's unreasonably priced, at least under these circumstances, you would be in better shape than an offeror whose proposal wasn't unreasonably priced. There's no way of knowing that in advance. You can't have a strategy of submitting an unreasonable price knowing that you'll get a chance to, as you put it, another bite at the apple. At the time they submitted the price, they likely thought it was a reasonable price. Exactly. And the way you've phrased it, it's pretty clear that that's, for a lot of reasons, not going to be a good strategy going in. Yeah. So stop me before I high price again. Joseph Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Smith, Pactor, McWhorter. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, 
Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. 
you're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Pop quiz, what can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. 
Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts.